Hello and welcome to What Moves Us Express. Or alternatively, What Doesn't Move Us. <laughs> a daily podcast throughout this uh, disrupted season. Brought to you from sunny Brighton and... At Nine Elms in London. Hi Johanna, how are you? I'm fine, how are you Liam? Okay, it's been a while since we've spoken on here. It has been a while, what have we been up to? Secrecy, super secret projects. Super, <laughs> actually, super everything secret projects. Are, actually, everything we are working on is super secret, isn't it? I know, it's exciting. It will be exciting when we can share it though. Yes. Now, <laughs> how is the weather in Brighton today? It's not the sunshine it has been, it's a bit dull, but we're not getting the rain. My garden needs the rain. It's so I can, yeah. is it? I don't, I, I, when I saw the weather last night, I haven't looked today, it sort of like it was touch and go whether it would reach here and I think it hasn't reached here. I think there was a little shower which might have gone on one petal or something but that was about it. Right. Um, so I can still go out for my daily exercise. Now on the line we have Simon. Simon, uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you for inviting me. Uh, absolutely delighted to be here. Uh, my name is Simon Brown. I'm the director of a company called Opal Rail. Uh, I launched the business in October last year following a 15-year career in banking, uh, corporate banking and structured asset finance. Cool. Now, first, most important question is, where are you? So I'm based in just outside Southend-on-Sea um, in Essex. And uh, much like Johanna, I haven't had much rain but it's a bit overcast today, um, right. not, as, uh, not as sunny as it has been. Well, uh, I'm sure but your council will be happy. How close to the beach are you? <laughs> you'd say uh, you're just about, outside Southend. About 400 metres. Oh, so, so you're a little bit closer than me, because I'm probably about 1,000 metres. <laughs> yeah, now you're in Brighton. I went to university in Brighton, so um, it's got a special place in my heart. Oh, well, I'm near Salt Dean Lido, if you know right. it. <laughs> <laughs> So now he wants picture because I've already had somebody saying to me, I can hear seagulls, where are you? <laughs> so how are you feeling? Yeah, good. Um, so, you know, it's clearly been an interesting time for the sector and uh, you know, also for, for me as an individual and for, for my new business. Um, but, you know, filled with optimism. So I think that's interesting you're filled with optimism because what, what did you think on March 23rd, six, pretty much six months into your new business, about the announcement about don't go anywhere, stay at home, you know, what were your immediate thoughts? Well, I think, you know, when I launched the business in October last year, probably like most other people in the rail sector, we were expecting 2020 to be the year of rail. Uh, the Williams Review findings were imminently expected in the autumn. Um, and the expectation that that would shake up the industry. Um, you know, like many things in the rail sector, things haven't quite worked out as planned. We've had a snap general election, Brexit, and now a coronavirus pandemic. You know, the industry is in a very different position. But, uh, you know, from a personal perspective, it's given me and hopefully, you know, other participants in the rail sector an opportunity to reflect about what the future holds. So you've actually, sorry, gone there. Well, no, I was just going to say, what has your reflection told you? Well, I think the, the, the key is that, you know, there's a natural tendency in times of uncertainty 
to yeah, just pu just pause and muddle through. You know, there's a general risk aversion across the sector to try new things. In my mind, you know, this is a real opportunity to reflect about the trends that are impacting the sector in the longer term, um, you know, assessing the ability of my business and other businesses to adapt and respond and try and build a, you know, a bit of a medium term plan as to how you're going to retain a competitive advantage. So you've actually written about those trends, haven't you? So, so what, do you, what do you see those are? So there's six trends um, that, that I'll begin to develop further you know, as, I, um, as, as I develop the business over time. The first one is clearly the impact on franchising and um, you know, the, the potential impact on a model that has been in place for a, for a long period of time. The second piece is around disruption to traditional rolling stock and rail infrastructure financing models, uh, which is the second trend. Third um, is the whole monetization agenda in Europe, um, liberalization, what that looks like and how companies can adapt and respond. And then you know, in times of uncertainty, clearly there's an impact on the pricing and availability of capital that companies need to uh, to adapt um, and deliver on their strategic priorities. And I guess the final two areas would be sustainable finance and supporting the green agenda and uh, digital disruption and technology finance as a theme. So, so did you, I'm gonna, did you think these were trends before COVID or have you, for, you know, have you reflected on them since, since the current pandemic? No, um, I thought these are trends beforehand. Um, the point I was making earlier that in, in times where the industry pauses, it's a good opportunity to reflect on what those trends mean for your business in the medium term. So, um, yeah, the core ethos of my business is centered around innovation, doing things differently, you know, challenging conventional thinking. And I think it's a good opportunity for companies to think about what they want to be in the future. We should clarify that this is actually an ebook you've published, isn't it? And where can people find that? Yes. Um, so I was going to do that at the end. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it just goes to show we you don't get, rehearse. You can get this, your promo. Just... You can get your promo in now. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. So again, you know, this is something that wouldn't have wouldn't have uh, landed unless I'd had some free time, to be honest. Um, so you know, I want to give the sector as much valuable insight as possible. As they go on the as you know, companies go on the journey to develop their strategic plans and raise capital, um, and so I've written this ebook. Um, it includes a comprehensive guide to strategy development, capital raising, deal execution. Um, it's based on the exact um, deal lifecycle framework that I follow when I work with clients. Um, there's a series of practical steps companies can take to position their organizations and you know, importantly it's completely free so i'd encourage listeners to make use of it go to the opal rail website and to download a copy why are you giving it away for free well uh, yeah i think clearly it's um it's an initial level of information into the approach and methodologies that i believe can help companies gain a competitive advantage um and yeah, whilst there is a series of practical steps that they can follow to implement those methodologies, 
more often than not, um, certain clients require help putting that theory into practice, which is where I can add some value. Um, but for others who want to do it themselves, then um, you know, it's there as a framework to follow. Hmm. And you've got the top 10 questions to ask yourself as well. So there's, yes. there's so a there's, self-reflection the, part in there as well. Well, certainly on the strategy side, yes, there is a self-reflection piece on you know trends and you know the ability of um a company to to respond and adapt to those trends over time you know and looking at strengths and weaknesses and what do your stakeholders need and um yeah, what, what are the strategic moves your competitors are making you know some of those broad brush high level deep thinking questions are there but also on the capital side you know, making sure that companies have got a um, you know, agile and responsive and flexible balance sheet and that their capital structure is optimized. You know, there's some areas in the ebook that address those as well. And do you sense that now, in, let's say the next six months, that there will be an, a lot of activity going on in this field? Or do you think that people are sort of just keeping the show running rather than considering these, uh, well, I guess, expansions? Well, I think yeah, probably the probably the biggest impact I've seen is that leaders across the sector have had a very limited bandwidth for anything other than crisis mitigation. Um, and so uh, keeping the rail industry operating has been priority number one. And that has undoubtedly led to projects and decision-making delays. Um, but yeah, as the industry begins to open up and companies start to think about how they want to position themselves from a competitive positioning um, perspective, then that will undoubtedly um, start to accelerate some of the activity. Um, I think the rail industry is renowned for just kind of sticking to the status quo, not really embracing change. There's a general risk aversion um, in times of uncertainty, but I think yeah, it's the really smart organisations that will be acting now. Um, because there will be winners and losers as we come out the other side. As, as ever. Um, I'm interested um, to go back to you know, one of your first trends about the changes in UK franchising, because obviously now Williams is certainly overdating being published. Yes. Um, what would you, what's your view and what's your advice in sort of like positioning yourself with the uncertainty around franchising and when we will emerge from emergency measures? Well, um, obviously, it was an initial six-month emergency measures arrangement, um, which I would not be surprised if that's uh, extended. Um, I think in terms of the revenue and cost risk um, being transferred away from the operators, that's something that will um, remain, would be, my, uh, would be my gut feel. And, you know, certainly... You know, from a from a corporate perspective, to ask companies to take revenue and cost risk um, for these type of uh, operations in future will be hard to swallow. Um, in a way, um, it's a rapid resolution to what was expected anyway around you know, the transition to concession type arrangements. So, um, I think we just um, we still we just need clarity on what the medium term structure of the industry looks like so that we can move forward. And that, that clarity term, <laughs> um, 
when do we think we'll get some? <laughs> well, yeah, I wish I wish I wish I knew. Um, yeah, the the latest I'd heard is that the um, the finding the Williams review findings would be published before the summer recess. Um, whether that will happen or whether there'll be further delay, uh, I don't know. My, as I keep saying, and I don't think I've ever said in, said in public loudly, I don't think it will ever be published. I think, right. it, it, I personally think it has been dead since Chris Grayling left as a rail minister. And they've never found a reason not to publish it, and now they have it. Because he's going to miss we'll it. See. We'll see. Nobody's, going to, nobody's going to miss it now, are they? <laughs> But still, the industry needs certainty so that we can move forward. It does need, you know, it does need Longer yeah. term strategic positioning can actually you know, be a priority um, for participants in the sector. At the moment, uncertainty drives delays in decision making and general risk aversion. With, with certainty around what the future looks like, companies can move forward. Mm. So what would your, in, in terms of certainty and I know obviously we don't have it and I you know in your in your paper you put imagine if you could see the future how do um, companies create that certainty what would be your top tip apart from hiring you <laughs> top tips in this ebook and they top tips <laughs> well clearly the priorities are different um, you know depending on um, where you operate in the market you know if you're an operator um, running one of these franchises then it's important to think around you know what are your priorities moving forward um, you know, the traditional rolling stock um, and infrastructure financing models that have been in place for several years I think could um, could do with a, a refresh um, you know, operators have seen um, and been using long-term fixed rate leases you know fixed rental leases um, and yeah, I think there's an opportunity to bring some variability into those types of um, arrangements moving forward um, to help you know, provide some variability to the, the fixed cost base of, of operators. And for manufacturers, um, I think that there's an opportunity for them to find um, you know, innovative ways of delivering product to market um, and perhaps to take some of that negative cash flow drag away from big rolling stock procurements. Um, and then if you're an SME participating in the supply chain, um, having you know, the ability to access more advanced corporate finance capabilities and think about how your larger peers are operating um, can, can really help. So I'd just, I mean, for me, just one final thing before, before we wrap up. Um, that I, you mentioned about um, rolling stock procurement. Uh, which is, as we know, is a long drawn out competitive affair. I mean, and the refinancing of that, how would you do that differently? Uh, in, in term, because I know that's in one of your steps as well, about or one of the trends in recapitalization of rolling stock and that. Yeah, so I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a broader opportunity for stakeholders in a rolling stock procurement to get together and to optimize the outcome for the various. Um, for the various uh, companies involved, you know, from an operator's perspective around how they can drive more competition in lease rates, um, from a manufacturer's perspective, how they can optimize working capital 
you know, the old 10% on signature, 25% on design completion isn't necessarily a cash flow that's optimized for their working capital. Um, and, you know, from the asset owner's perspective, um, in whatever form they take, the negative cash flow drag before that asset becomes revenue generating is really something that can be optimized. So, Liam, have you got any closing remarks? Um, would you like to say where the ebook is stored and where people can download it? Sure. So, um, if you head to the uh, website, which is opalrail.com, um, there's a viewpoint page where you can enter your details and just download a copy. It will be sent directly to your email account. Brilliant. Um, we are planning on doing a Rail Innovation Group Munch and Learn session to discuss this and more. Yes, Detail. look forward to that. Yes. So, so, what you, so what you, what you, are you talking about your ebook on our Munch and Learn or are you going to be giving us something new? Uh, we'll probably deep dive into some of the methodologies and the approaches that I'd recommend companies um, follow. So if you'd like the next level of detail. Brilliant. Okay. Look, for, so look forward to that. And that's, and that's next week, isn't it? Next week, yes. Next the week on 10th, 10th, 10th of June. The day before my birthday. Intent. <laughs> so you'll have to, if you want cake, you'll have to send me your address because otherwise I'm just going to eat it in front of you at Munch and Learn. <laughs> We could have that. a virtual birthday cake. <laughs> no, I'd rather the real one. <laughs> right. Uh, thank That's... you very much for joining us, Simon. Thank you, thank Simon. You and we'll see you, you next week at Munch and Learn. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Brilliant. Thanks for your time.